Hello there, listeners. This is Chris Miranda. I am the host of Enter VR. Today's podcast is going to be very special. I get to speak to Howard Rose, president and co-founder of First Hand Technology, a company that's been doing really cool things for many years with uh, virtual reality in the realm of medicine. I think this conversation is going to be very compelling, very interesting, and uh, just be forewarned, the audio quality is not the best. I ended up doing the interview in an office setting. Lesson learned. Uh, don't forget next next time around. I have Howard around. We're just gonna do this thing inside virtual reality with amazing audio quality. But in the meantime, do do please enjoy this show. Uh, the conversation is amazing, and I can't wait to have Howard back. So without further further ado, let's get going with the show. Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Real estate architecture, just just applications for the everyday uh, person. This is, I think, this is what is going to take, what it's going to take for virtual reality to become mainstream, and and even more, I uh, I think it's important to redirect this technology or try to channel it in, in, in positive directions, which is exactly what you're doing with first-hand technology. Um, Tell me about tell me tell me a bit about what you guys work on and, and what first-hand technology uh, does. Well, uh, first-hand has been um, a business for about 18 years. I've been working in virtual reality applications for over 20 years, um, and we were born out of the uh, the Human Interface Technology Lab, uh, the HID Lab at the University of Washington, which is where I met my business partner, Ari Hollander, and Ari and I started this company to develop applications and take the ideas of real-time computing and virtual reality out into the world, out of the the research lab, and uh, use them for beneficial purposes. So we've been developing serious games, simulations, um, virtual reality applications for things like uh, treating post-traumatic stress disorder, pain control, phobias, uh, games for health, games to try to uh, get people to take better care of their own health. Uh, We've developed, um, we're a Unity uh, development house, but we also work in uh, mobile applications and build things for all of the the cool stuff out there, the the iPads, et cetera. Um, But the underlying sort of common Uh, element of what we do is that we try to do things that are beneficial. So uh, we've been working in pain control for a long time and that's been one of our main focuses. Uh, Using virtual reality as a a mode of pain distraction for people who are um, in uh, treatment situation, wound care, burn pain, um, high levels of pain. Uh, And now we're working on using VR for treating chronic pain as well. That's that's amazing. I, I, before we even uh, get to all the really cool stuff that Firsthand uh, has been putting together, let's go back to so this started with you. This started from from college. This was born out of out of being in college. What what motivate you? What motivated you back then to to work in this direction? Yeah, well, um, 
So I was, uh, well, way back in college, I was doing all sorts of things in music and art and psychology and things like that. And I ended up in graduate school, actually, at the University of Washington. And by some strange twist of fate, I ended up in the HIT Lab, which is a virtual reality lab. Um, and I think what excites me about VR is that it's a, it's a place to where you can very much from the ground up, you can create these uh, open-ended, uh, my background is actually in education, so I was thinking of educational applications where you can create open-ended sort of learning environments or places where you can, uh, you can experience things that you otherwise couldn't experience in a regular classroom. Um, and at the HIT Lab, I worked at a, uh, on a project called the Virtual Reality Roving Vehicle the VRRV, and uh, this was uh, in the early 90s, and we took uh, sort of state-of-the-art VR computers, which were was a, a 386 with $100,000 worth of graphics processing and a, a seven-pound HMD, and we took them out into schools, and we put them on little kids' heads, and, <laughs> and we, we wanted to give them a taste of what the, of what the future was going to be and to ask these kids what they you know what what do you think VR is good for and uh, we gave them uh, worlds that we had built and we actually did a whole process of teaching kids to build virtual environments way back when um, and part of the excitement of VR for me is is that constructive process of of learning by doing either uh, building the world yourself where you can really learn and try to uh, figure out how to turn a, an area of knowledge into an experience um, and I can talk to some examples of that but uh, or we created things um, I did my graduate work in teaching Japanese I built a, an environment called Zengo Sayu which um, uh, was uh, teaching Japanese to people through the manipulation of objects and it had some artificial intelligence in it. It had a, you could, you could point at a virtual object and say, what's that? And it would tell you. Um, it was a user-centered approach to learning language. So I've, I've kind of done a, a lot of things and I think that's the other part of VR that excites me is you get to do you get to bring in a lot of different skills and work with a lot of different people and bring in a lot of elements of psychology and production programming and and it's a it's a big wide open world yeah it's uh i don't even know where to start you you drop so many so many interesting fascinating just idea bombs on me that i that i'm trying to get my bearings because for example, you talked about education, and education is one of the things I'm very, very passionate about. And and I and I look towards the future, uh, especially with VR. Like, what will VR be able to bring to education? And I'm looking towards the future, but you've done this in the past. This is something you've already been been doing. And so I need to ask you, like, in your experience or or knowing what you know, what's what's holding VR back from being in the, in the classroom? Five years from now, assuming of course the Oculus Rift and, and all these other uh, players get in the game. Well, um, 
you know, you mentioned the Rift, and, and we can talk more about that and mm -hmm. the equipment. I think the the technology itself has been one of the limiting factors, the cost and the accessibility. You know, most of this, all, all of it, uh, all of the virtual reality technology came out of the military. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, the seven pound HMD, um, it was sized for people, for adults, for men with big, strong necks. Mm -hmm. And uh, the affordances of the development systems were really for doing military simulations and not for doing other kinds of applications. So they were really good at explosions, but they weren't good at putting together, say, a virtual multiple choice test you know, or something like that. So, so the, uh, not that I want to do VR multiple choice tests, but the point is that the, you know, the affordances of the technology were not geared towards education. Um, at best, it was military simulations. But um, through uh, many long years, and we've gone through many uh, you know, development platforms, and we've worked with lots of head-mounted displays and projection systems and all of that, I, you know, I think what keeps me going is to see the potential. And as you mentioned, the Oculus and, and some of the recent develops have really um, accelerated that, um, that development dramatically. And we're very excited about that. Um, we've been waiting around for a long time. But I think in answer to your question, what keeps it from you know, exploding, uh, I think that there's the question of what you can do and then what's worth doing. Hmm. And we are very interested in sort of exploring that question about um, what is VR good for and how does it, uh, you know, how does it give you a different experience, a qualitatively better experience than using some other technologies or other approaches. Um, I am not one who believes that VR should be replacing the teacher, for example, but I think in everything we do, we try to use VR to enhance the power of the learner or enhance the power of the therapist to uh, do their job and to, to work with patients or enhance the power of a teacher. So I think VR in general works best when it, it is not trying to to stand alone uh, because building an entire reality is, is very difficult. But it's very, if you pay attention to the situation it's used in uh, and it's accessible to people, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. Yeah, that's a, you'd raise that question like what is VR good for? And that's something that I, I, I haven't quite thought about in that sense. Like I thought about, well, VR could be used in simulations, VR can be used in this and that and that and this, but 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 I haven't stopped myself to think that that first step, like, well, in the what's VR? Because it, it, it's so new, it's it's sort of hard to figure out, like, uh, unless you really try it, uh, what what VR is really good for. I, that's a uh, that's something that's going to keep me thinking for a while. But I want to talk about the military because this is that's a, a subject that is going to keep coming back. PTSD. You did you did work with uh, treating soldiers with post traumatic stress disorder with VR. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me how that came about? What was that process like? Well, um, you know, the, the premise of using VR for phobias and PTSD is really a sort of a, a form of a phobia. So, um, the like we have done work with, uh, so we've worked with clinical psychologists, um, 
Hunter Hoffman has done a lot of the, the original work on treating pain and uh, also treating fear of spiders. So, um, you know, we worked with him on a, an application called Spider World um, to try to treat uh, arachnophobia. So in, in that process, you use the virtual environment as sort of a way to desensitize to people who have phobias. Um, we found that if you put them into a virtual environment, it evokes the same type of fight or flight response that you get when they're encountering a real spider. So they sweat, they, they uh, twitch, they have all of these sort of physiological responses evoked by a visual virtual spider. And you find that people are less, uh, are less reluctant to engage with a virtual spider than they are with a tarantula. So um, Spider World has uh, really achieved some interesting results, uh, you know, cured one woman in particular uh, who is, we call Miss Muffet. She, uh, she was an extreme arachnophobe and through the process of, of doing therapy with a virtual spider, she got to the point where she can pick up a tarantula and you know it really changed her life in terms of her ability to walk outside walk in the grass go camping you know lead a much more normal existence and leading from that research uh, of exposure therapy um, to post-traumatic stress disorder ptsd is um you know sort of uh it, it is a uh, it's a very personal experience so what we tried to do with vr um, when you're talking about a spider, you've got a generic spider and you can make one spider and it, it pretty much works. But when you start trying to do uh, work with post-traumatic stress disorder, what you really try to do is to create an environment where um, you're controlling the amount of stimulus for the patient. Uh, and the goal is not to flood them, not to over, overcome their senses and their fear so that they shut down. You try to, it's a tool for the therapist to administer just as much uh, stress as the patient can take, just a little bit more than is comfortable. And so that work was done with um, uh, Hunter Hoffman and some of the, and uh, some researchers at uh, Tripler Army Base in, uh, in Hawaii. And uh, we developed a, a couple virtual environments for uh, a Humvee sim simulation. So you're going through a, uh, you're in a virtual Humvee in a head-mounted display going through a, a street in Iraq. And uh, there are various, there are IEDs that blow up, there are attacks, there are stressors in the environment. Um, there's a things like uh, there's a mosque and a call to prayer and some things that we we worked with soldiers to figure out what those stressors are and we built this environment so that the therapist takes the, the patient through and tries to get them to the point where they can recount their experience so it's not um, you know PTSD therapy is really about creating this this open-ended tool that each patient can kind of use in their own way. The therapist is able to um, control that amount of stimulus and then uh, hopefully people 
uh, find relief. Um, that research is ongoing. We're, we're not working with the DOD right now, but um, those projects uh, have been through clinical trials. Um, we also did a project with uh, Tamar Weiss, who's in, a psychologist in Israel, working with civilians um, who experience bus bombs, mm. terrorist attacks. Uh, we've worked, uh, there was a project for uh, the World Trade Center uh, that we did some work with and uh, using it for people who experienced uh, that tragedy. So um, yeah, in, in trying to develop, you know, I guess the bigger question is uh, how does VR play a role in therapy? I think that that Exposure therapy is clearly one way that we can do it. There's other people who've worked on fear of heights and fear of public speaking and things like that. So there's really a, quite a variety of, of opportunities out there. It's, it, it truly is amazing to, to hear that uh, for, for someone who isn't quite as immersed in VR as, as, as people like you and I are. I mean, I spend hours of my day just uh, lurking and, and reading through forums and uh, all sorts of places trying to get as much information about, about VR as possible. And I can't but be surprised at, at how amazing that is, that, that ability to uh, enable the human mind to, 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 to heal itself uh, from a phobia is, is amazing. Um, and then, and then you got PTSD, but let's go back to phobias. So what you're saying is, if you desensitize the, the person through virtual reality uh, to seeing spiders in front of her, then eventually she, she, she you know, when she sees a, a real one very, very uh, far away down the line, she won't be as fearful. I mean, that is, is that sort of the, the basic understanding of that? Or? Right, and actually, the it's amazing. But this, I mean, this woman, uh, Miss Muffet, yeah. uh, she would not go outside. She would go into the house and tape up the doors and windows. Wow. She was, I mean, it, this was a debilitating. It's not just a oh, I really don't like to be with a spider. It's like my life is completely dominated by a fear of spiders. Wow. Uh, and actually, the the really interesting thing is she came to uh, she came to uh, Hunter in the Hit Lab because she had seen a program on, um, this was way back, this was uh, over 10 years ago, but seen a program on TV about uh, treating uh, fear of heights with virtual reality and she thought, she thought, well, maybe these people can help me. So she actually sought out the treatment herself. Yeah. Um, and she has, uh, you know, she's been on, on quite a number of TV shows as, as an example. Wow. She was on Alan Alda's, uh, you know, science show and she's holding a tarantula. Um, I mean, she's gotten to the point where she is, I would say, cured. Wow. And that's, that's really amazing. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's, that's amazing. That is amazing. How, have you guys, in terms of just phobia treatment, like, have you guys thought about uh, bringing this to the masses through, through, through the Oculus Rift or, 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 I mean, because how would this work? Like, let's say I have a, a phobia and um, do I need to be, do I need to go seek a therapist and then that therapist will be like, hey, there's this app that firsthand is working on here, let me give you a rift, or will would this be something that will some someday be on the open market and, and then just anybody can just pull it down from the whatever store and, and, and use it? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's sort of a big. Um, I'd say there's two schools of thought there. There's one, there is definitely a group of people who believe that uh, you can do what I what I would just generally term as you know therapy in a box. You can make an application, build the AI, and build enough you know uh, functionality there that somebody could take it and uh, you, you know help themselves. Um, <clears throat> I think it's. My, my opinion is that in, in some cases that's a, a question of extent, uh, you know, how, how extensive is your phobia? Um, but, uh, you know, in general, I think that we, you know, the way I look at it is if optimally what you'd have is the therapist working with a patient to treat phobias because I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of skill and knowledge and uh, just sort of uh, other intangibles that, that you get from being with a therapist. And I, I don't look at machines as, uh, I think machines are great helpers. I don't think they're at their best when they're trying to replace people. Mm. So, um, but you know, I think that the amazing thing about humans is we're very adaptable and clever creatures, right? So we can, you know, we've, we've learned from crummy textbooks for 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 eons here, right? So there's been bad there's been bad educational materials, but we find some way to get what we need out of them, um, and that's just one example. But I think that uh, you know there may be some people who can take uh, you know a simulation of of a Humvee and going through a uh, Going through a, a city and turn and use it to desensitize themselves, um, but you know I think what you find is that uh, so so that's a good example. If you compare VR to a movie, I think clearly there's a lot of soldiers who suffer from uh, PTSD or other people who suffer from PTSD, and if it was just a matter of watching. A, a scary movie or watching a war movie and that was how you were going to cure yourself then a lot more people would be curing themselves that way right so there is something about the interaction uh, I think that that it, this goes back to the nature of why VR works uh, differently than movies in, in terms of therapy so if you put someone into a virtual environment, as I said before, you know, you, you evoke this fight or flight response. The more that we can immerse them in the, in the environment, the, the more intense the experience, right? And um, so in, in terms of, of PTSD, we're trying, to, we're trying to take them back to a place where they are very vulnerable. And PTSD is, is usually um, thought of as, as emanating from a single experience. Now, when you've been in Iraq for a year and you've had sort of multiple traumas and stuff, that can get more complicated. But if you think of somebody who's been in a hostage situation or domestic violence or something, there's usually a, a core experience and you're trying to take them back. What you find when you do the, this therapy in, in real life is that um, people don't want to engage with the thing that is most fearful for them or they will engage with it somewhat, but it'll be a very dispassionate engagement. Mm. So, yeah, this is what happened to me, this is what happened, da-da-da-da, and then my buddy got killed. Mm -hmm. So, 
what what is amazing about VR is that it kind of breaks through that. It it people engage with it at a, a very different level, and I don't, you know, I think that that. Maybe in the future, I'm not one to say never, maybe in the future we will figure this out and we'll be able to create virtual therapists. There are people who are working on virtual therapists right now. But, um, you know, I think that, that taking people to that really vulnerable place, they need support, they need, you know, that's what humans are good at. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, indulge me and, and follow me down the rabbit hole for a sec, um, because, uh, at, there will be a point at which people will, and, and there's already, I, I was reading, uh, I was listening to NPR Science Friday and uh, a while ago and, they, and, and scientists discovered a way or, 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 or a methodology through which eventually they'll be able to go inside your memory bank and just delete your memories. And, and one day, who knows, we'll live in a world where we will be able to delete our own memories a la carte. What's the difference? between i mean what would be the value between just deleting my memory of that experience versus confronting it with vr and going through therapy um because my, my take is you you want to you want to bring them back to to being vulnerable because that's how they confront those experiences that's how they they heal but but what, what would you say uh when we get to that point where you know what i'm just going to delete my memory versus healing therapy VR? Well, you know, uh, I guess that's, that's a great question. So one of the, that leads me in a few, few, era, a few directions mm -hmm. at once. One is, you know, it, whether there, if we had a drug today, say you had somebody who had PTSD or committed a war crime or did something, and you could give them a pill to let them forget it, there's a lot of ethics questions about that yeah. you know i think one of the the interesting things that i've learned about uh work from working with uh, doctors who treat ptsd is that they don't try to impose a a kind of a moral framework on what happened it they're not trying to say they don't take the, the you know if they're working with a soldier oh you didn't have a choice uh, it wasn't you know it, it's not your fault or things like that they really they have a very uh, uh, they very consciously try try to uh, help people deal with their own emotions and their own experiences for themselves and not impose something else and I think the you know we don't necessarily need a pill if you're familiar with the the um, research by people like Elizabeth Loftus who have looked at um, the malleability of memory and how memories can be restructured. Um, Elizabeth Loftus did a lot of work with sort of witnesses and, and how perception can be altered by uh, a detective's line of questioning um, and how uh, memories can be completely manufactured and will believe they're true. So, you know, we don't have to go to a pharmaceutical uh, solution there. We, we have the ability to um, alter people's memories of past experience because our memory is pretty fallible. Hmm. Um, I think the bigger question kind of for today is how you, uh, how you take these technologies and use them for, for good. 
You know, we're we are not there to try to erase. You know, I'm not. You know, I'm not gonna. I don't have the moral standing to try to erase somebody's guilt about what happened to them mm -hmm. in participating in something. But I think that that also is the role of the therapist to try to help people navigate that. You know, and and we're we're dealing with more and more trauma, both from you know from people who've experienced uh, you know violence or people who've experienced natural disasters. Um, you know, you think of all of the people who experienced the tsunami or the earthquakes and and these various experiences. They they have stress, they have fear, they have you know. And and how do you how do you try to move them forward from the where they are right now? Yeah, uh, it, it's crazy. Um, well, let's go deeper down the the rabbit hole now that we're here. You spoke about the. Uh, desensitization through VR, for, for example, the story Miss Muffet and how the more spiders she saw, the, the, the less scared she was of them. Could this same desensitization, uh, my, my pronunciation is off, um, could this be used uh, in a negative direction, for example? Uh, the military uh, creating war simulators that are more and more real and, and, and all of a sudden uh, you're creating a, a, a race of super soldiers who are not scared of anything because they've seen it all in VR. Is this possible? Could this, could this be taken in this direction? Uh, people are working on it. I think that, that the, uh, you know, the You know, to, to leave the moral judgment aside, just in terms of what uh, I know is going on, uh, in terms of research, people are very, you know, um, there's a, a researcher named Jane Gackenbach who did a bunch of, uh, who had a finding that, that people who, gamers, uh, were less susceptible to uh, PTSD. So gamers, uh, you know, uh, war vets who were gamers, um, Her her interest is sort of lucid dreaming and and um, some other interesting areas. But she was doing this work and she found out that people who were who were gamers had m more control of their dreams and they were actually also um, less uh, say susceptible to PTSD. Um, and then people now are really working on this idea of inoculation. How do you Uh, you know, after the fact, you can try to repair people with VR or with therapy or something, but if we can inoculate people and give people coping strategies, then we will reduce the, you know, the stress on the front end. So um, I do believe that uh, it's really good for us to, to think about how we build resilience with virtual reality. Um, It, it does lead to questions. I, I do think that, that the idea that we can make people sort of mindless killing machines is, is uh, hopefully not a reality, <laughs> or uh, if so, it's a very, very long way off. But um, I think that in terms of what the, the technology can really achieve um, without a lot of hype, what we're able to do in terms of simulating a reality or simulating an experience, I think that it is interesting to ask these questions, how can we make people more resilient? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, another positive end of that that we work on is in dealing with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. um, there's, uh, there is, uh, you, you know, people's reaction to pain is a very personal thing.
uh, you can give five people the same operation, the same incision, and you'll have five completely different results. And so uh, people are looking at that, and, and I've had uh, you know experts in chronic pain and pain talking tell me you know pain is something you pain is something you do, not something you have. The the level of pain that we experience has to do with you know our resilience and our attitude and our attitude about life and and what we you know how positive we are or how engaged we are um, and so you know these things are not it's not like a, a, a very we're we're very complex animals and we're not easy to control and we have lots of adaptability mm -hmm. um, I mean in that clockwork orange scenario where we can erase people's memories of violence or you know, try to change them in some way. I, I think that, you know, I, I, I do hope that is the realm of, of science fiction. You, you spoke about pain and, and pain treatment, and that's a perfect segue into into my next question because I'm I'm the way I see VR right now is I, I sort of see it as a portal into the human mind, the human brain um, itself, because because things uh, things happen. Like I've, I've had the rift. For the last for a month now, and and I've noticed that I've I've been having more lucid, more vivid dreaming, and and I don't know why, but but something's happening inside my head, and and do you have an idea, or are you aware of of any research that is strapping people to uh, EEG brainwave sensors while they're inside the rift, experiencing dread halls, or or or, or some insanely horrifying experience or just whatever like what's happening inside the brain while I'm inside VR is there is there anybody doing that or, or work done well um, I mean you mentioned the rift I don't I, the rift is a fairly new uh, invention I yeah. we we've, we've been um, you know we've been working with other helmets and I, I think the issues are the same I don't mm -hmm. think uh, I think that the the premise of virtual reality is that is it is a psychophysical experience. Uh, we this whole concept of immersion and uh, proprioceptive senses, and that we we feel as if we're transported from here to someplace else. And I think that you know that just just to kind of try to tease this out, there are you know our experience of reality. Uh, is only approximated by this by this technology, right? So VR works because it, in some senses, uh, is able to fool our our eyes and our it fools our senses. Mm -hmm. So uh, the degree to which it fools our senses is the degree to which we fall into that virtual space. So. Um, you know, I it, I think that your question kind of has a there's a dividing line there. I mean, the the technology is not real enough to make it actually feel indiscernible from reality, and so we do have artifacts from the technology itself. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the ultimate you know the dream of of virtual reality is as indiscernible from reality. Uh, it, it's an interesting question. We're certainly not there yet. You know you're wearing a headset. You know even if we forget, uh, there is this, uh, you know, that's, that's a, 
it's very exciting when we're sort of momentarily fooled mm -hmm. to uh, steady ourselves against a virtual table that's not really there mm -hmm. um, or to look for something in our environment because we assume it's there. Um, you know, one of the interesting ways that, that you test to see if people have uh, to see people's level of immersion is to test their level of confusion with reality. And so, uh, you know, there, there's a, a method of testing where you put somebody in a virtual environment that is a virtual room, and then uh, you put them in the exact same room, uh, and then you put, you know, there are objects that are in the virtual world, there are objects in the virtual world, and, you know, you have the same object in the virtual environment and in the real world, and then there's some objects that just appear in the real world, and then you ask them at the end, where did you see this? Was it in the virtual world, or was it in the real world, oh. or was it in both? And so that, you know, people have developed these, these methods of trying to figure out that level of confusion and the level of, of sort of... Uh, Again, the degree to which we confuse the two, uh, you know, sh should be an indication of how immersed we are. Yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a crazy idea. This, this, this notion of, of, of reality, and, and all of a sudden you put on this thing, and and what I'm looking at when I when I put on the rift, I, I see potential. I see where this might be in five, ten years. Um, you know, it's and five years are around the corner, and you know, considering how. How fast time feels to be going by, but my but what I'm what I'm trying to get at is like after hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, uh, the human mind, the human brain itself, um, I don't know if it was quite ready for something like this to come along and, and all of a sudden transport you. Um, Will there be research or studies being done, uh, or, or has there been studies of of long term exposure in, in VR and what that does to the, to the brain? Because it's it, it's it's weird. I, I I can play Skyrim on a 2D panel for hours and hours upon hours, but experiencing Skyrim in Skyrim in virtual reality is uh, is is different. It feels different, and so for that. For that, for that very reason, I, I'm compelled to ask, like, what is, what, what's happening to the brain? Is it being changed or affected, uh, either positively or negatively, in the long run? Do you, do you know of, of any of that happening? Well, uh, that's a big question. I think that, um, you know, from what I know, I think that, you know, our brains are constantly changing, mm -hmm. um, and you know, from from the emerging sense of uh, of brains as being plastic, of neuroplasticity, uh, there's a sense that we don't stop learning. You know, people used to think of the brain as a brick, that, uh, you know, you learned up to a certain age and that was pretty much it. Um, but we know that, you know, you develop a lot, it's a very complicated, lifelong process of developing new neural pathways and and new act, you know, new associations. Uh, so I don't, I, I, I think that when you talk about um, sort of the future of virtual reality, um, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know if, it, again, it sort of gets back to this question of how real is it? Mm -hmm. Like the more real it becomes and the less we feel like we're engaged with a, a sort of a machine, then theoretically, the more it would, our brain would treat it like reality. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
sometimes it's hard to tease out what is the virtual versus what is our experience with this specific set of equipment. Hmm. Um, but I can say that, uh, you know, in terms of uh, pain control, and I, I kind of go back there because one of, one of the reasons that we're interested in doing pain control, one, is to help people. Mm -hmm. And also, it, it's a great place to learn about how humans experience virtual environments. And uh, the theory behind uh, pain control, VR pain control, is related to gate theory. So pain is a cycle that happens in your body. Uh, you step on something and uh, that pain goes through your spine up into your brain and spreads out to your brain then it actually goes back down there's ascending and descending pathways and the idea is to interrupt that pathway we want to um, gate theory uh, talks about how you can it's a way of trying to mitigate the feeling of pain or the experience of pain uh, through awareness by diverting awareness so we divert awareness from the pain that someone's experiencing in a wound care situation to a virtual environment. And the degree to which we can successfully take away their pain uh, gives us an indication of how well, uh, of, of how immersed they are in, in the environment. So uh, it's a great way to learn about making changes in the environment and, and see how it affects you know, the level of immersion and then you've got this somewhat objective measure of they felt less pain. And in terms of your question about fMRI studies, there, uh, um, an fMRI study uh, done by Hunter Hoffman uh, looking at, uh, you, you know, using Snow World. So we've worked with Hunter and uh, have developed um, applications like Snow World, which is probably the, the longest running, best studied game for health out there. Um, it's a first-person snowballer used in uh, for burn patients. Um, but uh, so Hunter made a special HMD with optical fibers and uh, put uh, put subjects into participants into a uh, an fMRI machine and looked at the the changes in brain activity. Uh, and if you compare a you know with VR to not be to no VR. Uh, condition, what you get is uh, you get you get two things. One is a reduction in pain-related brain activity. So as I said, when you have pain, um, that that it it goes to your thalamus and up other spreads out through your brain. Uh, you can see that that those areas are far less active, and then you see activation in other areas about cognition associated with cognition, frontal lobe, and other parts of your brain. So, so you get a really good tangible indication that the VR is doing something. Um, now in terms of do they really feel like, you know, they feel like they are in Snow World, but I think they know that Snow World is not real. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's the question of, there's, there's two questions. One is the question of how good you're technology is mm -hmm. and then there's the question of what is the environment um, and if you take someone into a fantasy game mm -hmm. uh, and they feel immersed in it um, they're still going to know they're in a fantasy game mm -hmm. uh, if you take them into sort of an America's Army situation 
um, that you know that probably that that game is designed to give you a feeling of combat. Mm -hmm. So you know it, it's a very complex situation set of conditions. You've got technology and then you've got content. But um, I guess to round it out, your question about you know research, people are looking at um, sort of the experience in lots of different ways and trying to deconstruct it both in terms of of uh, the physiological response and then the psychological engagement. Yeah, it, that, yeah. I want to go go to the snow world because that that was something I um, I was looking at your website and I, and I ran into the video where the soldier was being treated with, for uh, for burn wounds and he was using snow world and by the way, if you're listening, you should you should check out firsthand. Uh, technologies.com or is it uh, we're firsthand.com firsthand.com there's this video uh, linked to NBC where there's a soldier uh, named Sam and Sam uh, had a, 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 a bomb explode while he was in Iraq and he had uh, burns all over his body and they were using snow world this this VR interactive experience to uh, help treat his wounds um, by distracting his brain from the pain that he was going through? Is, is that basically what gate theory is? Like, if I could use an analogy, which is going to be a horrible analogy, by the way, it's kind of like a computer. Like, a, you have a computer with a two gig uh, memory, right? The, the RAM, and then um, the brain is, is that, that, that memory. And, and so it can only process so much at one time. And so, and so what you do is you come in and you drop someone in Snow World, and so, uh, you you give them all the stimulation, all these all these things happening, and so the brain sort of just forgets or just doesn't pick up what's happening to them. Like that's amazing because well, that, that that is a fine analogy. It is it is exactly what's happening. That your brain only has a certain amount of processing power, and you want to absorb that uh, as much as you can mm -hmm. to take it away from pain. And so there's less there's less there. To uh, you know, to to focus and concentrate on the pain. So the conclusion this leads me to, and and, and it's the same that that you guys are reaching is is um, the issue of uh, it's actually not an issue; it's an epidemic of of Americans uh, using over the counter uh, synthetic heroin like hydrocodone and Vicodin, um, mm -hmm. and and ending and ending and and ending up abusing it, uh, getting addicted to it. Um, you're you're using uh, to treat pain. The old school way was let's, let's drug the hell out of them and let's get through this. But now <laughs> with 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 virtual reality, you're you're using a non-invasive technology to heal people to 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 treat burn wounds. That's insane to me. Like, why isn't this? Why isn't this everywhere? Like, why isn't this like being utilized in every single hospital in the country? I mean, just imagine how much is it the pharmaceutical companies? Is is that them again? God damn it! Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I was astounded to learn that the United States consumes more than eighty percent of the of the narcotics, the opiates in the world, wow. and that begs the question: What is the rest of the world doing right that we're doing wrong? Yeah. Um, how we got here is a is a uh, another issue, but uh, clearly we have an overdependence on drugs as a uh, as a means of you know getting through things. 
so one of the reasons that this is not available in a lot of uh, hospitals and clinics or for people at home has been the cost. And so um, we, you know, we've been doing this research for a long time and uh, working with hospitals and selling them, uh, you know, selling systems and trying to and going and training uh, doctors and nurses how to uh, how to use virtual reality equipment. Um, but the cost of the systems has been, um, you know, with a twenty-five thousand dollar or thirty thousand dollar HMD. Uh, have been really prohibitive and, and very limited. And that's had two big um, impacts. One is, is that uh, we have not been able to do large enough studies uh, to really look at a lot of the issues about how it's used and develop protocols, et cetera. And the other is that, uh, it, you know, it's just not affordable. So um, firsthand has, we've kind of, took this into our own hands and we developed our own uh, 3D display, an immersive display um, designed uh, really specifically to uh, do the job of pain control better and cheaper. And uh, our immersive display um, fits over a, it uses uh, an existing, uh, a high resolution retina display on a, on a Mac laptop. It fits over the, the display and gives you a wide field of view, high resolution um, uh, stereo virtual reality display. It's not a head-mounted display, um, but we have found that in pain situations, uh, people do not react well to HMDs. Mm -hmm. um, they have some operational issues in terms of what happens in the clinic, uh, positioning the patient, uh, getting the patient comfortable. A lot of patients don't, uh, they don't like things on their face. They're very uh, sensitive to claustrophobia and things like that. So uh, for a number of reasons, uh, we've found that uh, HMDs are, are not really effective. And actually the doctors uh, in, if you look at that, that video that you had mentioned on our site, you'll notice that um, the doctors were taking these $30,000 helmets apart and putting the optics on an arm and floating it in front of the patient because that was a more effective way to do uh, VR pain control. And usually in a, in a pain situation, people are not interested in, you know, they're not moving their head around, they're stationary, they're getting treated. So um, we decided to build a, uh, you know, a cheap, affordable, um, display and uh, we're trying to address that um, and it, I can also say that we we recently finished a study we got funding from the National Institute of Health um, from uh, NIGMS thank you very much and uh, we did a study comparing our display to a $25,000 helmet and we found no significant difference in terms of pain reductions between the helmet and ours. So we, wow. we feel really good that um, we'll be able to mass produce this. Right now we're, we're kind of, we're moving towards a Kickstarter and that's, uh, uh, we'd love for people to be out there watching for that. Um, but we're trying to figure out, you know, all of the pieces to this puzzle about how you create a whole, you know, part of it is the ecosystem of, of care and how it's done. 
and that's a whole interesting topic in and of itself, but having technology that is proven, having technology that's effective, that, that people can, you know, they need to sterilize it, mm -hmm. they need to be washable. Mm -hmm. HMDs have too many contact points, mm -hmm. which in a hospital you're really worried about contagion. So there's all of these pieces to the puzzle that have to be together in order for something to succeed. Yeah. And opiates and, and opioids and, um, you know, narcotics, medication, there's very clear protocols about what the dose is and they weigh you and they know exactly what you should have and they, uh, you know, who gets to decide who gets what drug. Um, a lot of that, you know, is, uh, is not as well defined for VR. Mm -hmm. like, how much can we reduce their their you know the anesthesia if they're using VR for a procedure, yeah. um, things like that. So, uh, but what I think you're finding is what, what I see is that with the Affordable Care Act um, and some other you know real big social changes, there's much more interest in bringing down the cost, bringing down the you know. Reducing our, our dependence on um, opioids and other kind of medical uh, medication um, as a solution for pain and, and looking at alternatives. So uh, VR, you know, I'm hoping that the time has come for for it to kind of come out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, it, I think yeah, I think uh, I think it, I think the time is right. I think uh, based on what I've seen, going to the meetups, the San Francisco one, the Silicon Valley one. Um, I, I see that the, the, the there's been a sleeping dormant giant since the 90s. Been been uh, they, we had a bit of a false start, but but it looks like um, based on what I've been seeing, it looks like this might be it. So so people will say, and going back to your display, people will say like, well, why don't you use an Oculus Rift? And you know, just <laughs> aside from all the reasons that you just mentioned. Um, well, who, so who is who is your target audience? Is, is this definitely for hospitals? Is this for like consumers? Is it is there going to be an SDK for developers to to create? Is this going to be an open sourcing? I have so many questions about this. Well, uh, to start with, the way the way our display works is an over under mm -hmm. uh, split screen over under instead of Oculus side by side. Um, some of the advantages of over under are you get a wide aspect ratio. So our display, if you use a retina, um, um, we're using a 15-inch MacBook, uh, you know, you can get, uh, we're getting 2600 by 900 uh, resolution, which is, you know, way better than uh, what you can get in an Oculus or an HMD. Um, we're using conventional technology, so there's no, as the, as the, um, quality of the displays improved, we will move right along with it. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think the Oculus is, you know, I think it's a great thing. I think it's, it has really spurred a lot of interest and innovation in virtual reality. And I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of exciting things happening thanks to Oculus. But, um, you know, our main target is not, you know, it's not the helmet experience. Uh, and I think that, you know, you can, you can do things on ours like watch a 3D movie mm -hmm. and it's the equivalent of being, 
it's the equivalent of looking at a 10-foot screen from nine feet away. So you kind of got a, an IMAX, a 3D IMAX sitting on your desk. Nice. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just a very different experience from Oculus. So I think, I think the tendency is to say VR and, and, and helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've got a lot of experience there and we believe in it. But, uh, you know, we found that here's, is, so our target really isn't in trying to treat pain. I think that there are some other applications because it's high resolution. I think it's great for, uh, for a lot of, of other applications. You know, you can put your GoPro in it. You can uh, look at, at, watch 3D movies. Um, you can do simulations. You can read text. Uh, everything is much more, um, you know, we're really taking advantage of the high resolution. Um, and the other, uh, you know, the other thing is that um, the, uh, the Oculus has an issue about simulator sickness. They have really tried to uh, maximize the uh, field of view and at 110 degrees or whatever it actually comes out to be, Mm -hmm. um, you have a real issue about simulator sickness. And I know that that this is this is uh, a pretty well, um, you know, well recognized aspect of the of the HMD. Uh, People who are in pain cannot tolerate any sort of nauseogenic kind of experience. They have a very low tolerance for that. So um, our, we have an 85 degree field of view, mm-hmm. uh, wide aspect ratio, and in terms of SDK, there's nothing, there's no programming you have to do. Okay. All you have to do is if you're using Unity, uh, you know, send me email and we'll, we'll work with you to set up the cameras. Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, you just use two cameras and you get that over under um, split and you, you get the right aspect ratio and you can go. So there's no extra programming that has to be done. Um, you know, and in terms of, of uh, Oculus and sort of head mounted display experiences, um, the experience is qualitatively different. And, and to build an environment, for a first-person, uh, you know, tracked experience moving through a virtual environment, um, to build that kind of environment, you, you know, it's a very different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, you know, people want to be active. They want to be doing things. They want to be looking around. They want to be searching. They want to be, you know, they want to take advantage of all the stuff that the HMD affords. That tends to not be what one, people want to do. Uh, you know, a, a good um, a good pain environment. Uh, we find that there's you know there's lots of things you can do to engage people, but it's not really about uh, you know looking under the virtual table and getting getting excited about that. You know, so uh, it's um, we we want to try to uh, you know reach out to developers and definitely shout out to say if you're if you're interested in working in this world. Uh, get it, building applications, or maybe you've got an application already that uh, you think would be good for helping people, you know, uh, deal with pain, you know, relaxation, things that are, things that are engaging. Um, 
but also and somewhat you know artistic things really work well things that are engaging um, that get people in a sort of a, a relaxed state we're not trying to hype them up mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to engage them at the same time as we're relaxing them which is kind of a kind of a different thing than most games yeah go for right <laughs> that is uh that sounds outrageous i've never heard of something i uh, no it's it's amazing i think it's gonna work i i, I really really like that idea i think um uh, especially because we are in dire needs of alternatives uh, from opiate drugs and, and, and the insane shit that the pharmaceuticals pump into our, uh, our bodies. Um, so there's going to be a Kickstarter. Uh, what's going to happen? What, so, so I need to ask you, how much do you guys need to get funded for this and, and what happens next? Well, um, you know, we're sort of working all that out. I think mm -hmm. our, our goal is to, um, is to uh, get enough money to basically to build the molds and uh, to drop the cost of this device as much as we can. We know that if we, um, if we can do, you know, different molding processes, give you different, you know, different, different sizes of runs and, and all sorts of issues about that but so the, the our ability to raise money will you know basically impact the the end cost of the device our goal is to try to make it as cheap as possible mm -hmm. because um, you know you take somebody who's dealing with chronic pain on uh, who has a disability and they've got chronic pain um, you know we we know that they just, you know, they can't afford very much. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the Kickstarter is focused on developing that infrastructure, building the molds, getting, uh, you know, getting some, uh, we'd like to get people out there. Uh, we're gonna have some incentives that people can uh, get the device and they can, if they're developers, they can de develop for it. If they're people at home, we have this uh, idea about, you know, getting people involved, uh, you know, regular people out there involved in, you know, helping us move the research forward. So it's sort of like crowdfunded research. We're going to, you know, if we can get a, a get people out there who are dealing with chronic pain or pain uh, at home, um, then we can get them involved in the network. We can send them things and they can try, you know, send them virtual worlds or games or or you know try out different things and they can give us feedback on it and say this is working this is not working um, I think that that we're really trying to expand uh, in in every dimension that we can expand uh, the number of people who participate in this the number of people who know about VR pain control uh, you know I get I get calls from people um, you know this is Bernie in New Jersey and I've got bursitis you know, people find us. They they see things about Snow World on TV. They find us. They're very excited. And for the longest time, I've had to say, "I'm sorry, I just don't have anything for you because the stuff has been so expensive." Mm. Now I'm. It's great when Bernie calls me back. Bernie, if you're out there, please call me back. Um, you know, it, when he calls me back, I can say we're we're getting close. And here's something really tangible that you can do to help move this forward. So. You know, a lot of people are touched by pain. You know, there's 116 million Americans have chronic pain. Wow. Um, just the, yeah, the problems are staggering. And so, 
you know, we want to address that and we want to get, you know, get people involved in, in the whole big effort. I'm definitely behind it. I'm definitely behind that effort because uh, there, this 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 thing this thing called virtual reality it's here and you can't stop it. Um, but you and you can't just tell people, hey, yeah, the genie's out of the bottle. Uh, for all those that didn't get the memo, the genie's out of the bottle, 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 and and you can't you you know you can't put it back in. And so. Um, I, for example, as an individual, can't tell anyone else, hey, you, stop that virtual reality mess. <laughs> you can't. You, you can't just tell people to stop. So instead, you provide um, positive alternatives. Uh, and, and, and this is exactly what you're doing, um, uh, providing a, a positive choices for, for us to redirect our, our attention to and, and, and hopefully focus the technology towards. But I have to, I have to be, I sort of have to be a bastard here because the, the, the greedy side of me sort of wants to ask, like, if I were a developer, um, what, uh, what, how, I want to, at this point in, in the game, is it possible? Um, do you see a possibility for me to make a living developing for, 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 for this particular thing? Is there, is there a way to, to, to get a, a big company's attention or, or the government's attention about? The research, or, or, or something like this, I'm 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 trying to figure out a way that we, we can just organize like a massive. Here comes the naiveness in me. The massive tweet, uh, like just tweet the hell out of the WhiteHouse.gov website and tell them, hey, check out this awesome thing that Howard Rose is doing. Listen, this could uh, solve so many problems. Like, but just just going back to the same thing, like. And it sort of it's just begs the question like what are the obstacles that you're facing currently like you know obviously financial but 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 also are you facing any technical obstacles as well? Well, um, yeah, that's I took you everywhere. I'm sorry. There's a, no, there's a, a couple points there to touch on. One is you know can you make a living doing this? I mean I've. I've been doing this a long time. I've survived. Uh, it, sometimes it hasn't been pretty, but uh, you know the the technology has evolved. I think that that Ari and I got into this pretty you know early in the game, and and we've you know been through a lot of. Every time you have to shift gears and change to a new development platform, you go back to square one, right? Mm. So we're we're very familiar with that. But I think what we've been able to kind of, uh, you know, we've developed our own resilience mm. uh, through that process. And we, we have a good sense of the enduring factors that, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what your development platform is. I think, you know, Unity is great. We're developing with that. Uh, I would definitely, you know, uh, shout out to Unity developers to to at least consider, uh, you know, checking out firsthand.com and the work that we've done, and think about working in, uh, you know, working in some of these areas and collaborating with us. Uh, I think in terms of, you know, as I said, the market. If you want to just take it as a business case, the market for pain control is enormous. Um, the need for pain control is enormous. Um, and it's going to evolve. It's not there yet. We're not there today. So it's not like you can just plug in and and go to the uh, you know get get your app on the app store and and then there'll be a, a, an audience, right? 
that, that a number of things have to happen. But I think that's, the, that's true no matter which area of, of virtual reality you're looking at. I mean, there are, there are places in, in, in uh, there are businesses, there are markets where it is more established than others. Uh, clearly, you know, the interest in the Oculus Rift has developed a lot of, uh, of traction around games. Uh, and I think there's, there's lots of people in the research world who are looking at the Oculus as, as a good alternative for doing uh, work in, you know, phobias, pain, neuroscience, lots of different places. Um, and so I, I think that we are in a very exciting time in terms of, of you know, the pain market. And I guess, you know, in, the, in general, you know, serious games. Uh, we, you know, everyone in, in uh, your listening audience is probably very aware that, you know, games have eclipsed music and movies as in terms of revenues and, mm -hmm. and sort of economic activity. Mm -hmm. uh, this is how we spend our time. So uh, to me, it's not a question of uh, are these things going to come? I think it's a question of how soon mm -hmm. and how good they are when they get here. If you look at a lot of Exer games, for example, they have not lived up to the hype. Um, there are some that are doing better than others, but you know there are some interesting studies out there that show that there, you know, a lot of what is out there as an exercise game is not really going to give you some really substantive cardio exercise. Yeah. You're not going to get the health benefits. So I think that you know overall, you know, you look at the Oculus. We we definitely think it's a it's a great addition, but it it's a big social experiment. Yeah. You know, if you look back at, at the history of 3D in the 50s, there was a lot of excitement about 3D movies and there were people making 3D cameras with film um, and all of that. And he, what I think is really cool about the Oculus is that it, it evolved out of the Kickstarter community. It evolved out of people like looking at it and saying, now's the time. And I think that it's interesting to look at like so a lot of the people who you know in the 20s and 30s age range whatever uh who contributed to it um they grew up with uh sort of visions of virtual reality and movies and sort of the dream was there before their eyes mm -hmm. and then i think people stepped into it and they stepped up and people like carmack and and others kind of they they got behind it and so people sort of rallied and said hey maybe this is it and went for the you know went for the dream mm -hmm. i think that they do have you know they're they're smart people and they're going to come up with something that is pretty interesting um is it going to be the panacea i don't know i've been in this industry a long time i've heard it a lot i've heard the next best thing, you know, is right around the corner and it never quite materializes. So I do wish them well, but, you know, I think at the same time, there's this in the context of this bigger social experiment we're doing about who's going to be using the Oculus, for example. I think that the gamers who are really excited and hyped about it and, and are willing to get over that initial sim sickness mm -hmm. and and just get to the point where they're going to enjoy it, they're, they're going to be having one experience. Uh, when you give that to my mother or you give that to somebody who's not a gamer who doesn't have that intrinsic motivation, 
they they're gonna they got to be motivated by something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know getting back to that statistic about games have eclipsed uh, you know other kinds of of entertainment. I think I have heard it said more than once that serious games have the potential to eclipse entertainment games. Um, by a similar magnitude, because you think about uses in health, you think about school, you think about all of the other parts of our life that are not sort of recreational. Mm -hmm. um, there's tremendous opportunity, mm -hmm. and you're going to see it moving towards there, but I think it's a gradual evolution. Um, and the social experiment that I talked about, about an Oculus, is really, uh, I hope that that it has a good, you know, I hope that when it actually comes out as a commercial product, it is, it, it's good and people have a good experience because a negative experience will just kind of set the whole thing back. Uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I think um, that's a very good assessment. And, you know, coming from a, a gamer myself, being a gamer myself, the, um, and, and, and just as, as a consumer as well, like I, every console generation, I've been playing video games since the Super Nintendo. And, and, and so from the Super Nintendo to the Nintendo 64, there was an obvious difference between the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo 64. You had 3D graphics and then you went from Nintendo 64 to PlayStation 2 or GameCube and it just, and the graphics got prettier and then, but, and then, and, then, and then you get to PS3 and now the new generation, but what's happening is every generation, console generation that's been going on that, you know, for gamers, I feel like we were seeing just more of the same, except just prettier and with more horsepower, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in and out of itself, but um, I think since it's 2013, why the do we not have Tron yet? Like that's that's the thing to me. Like why? And and so every every time there's a new peripheral or new console coming out, I ask myself like, what are you what are you showing me that I haven't seen before? And and and, and you know, a lot of gamers like myself are seeing the Oculus and they're realizing like this is something I've never seen before. And this mm -hmm. is for three hundred dollars. This is going to be a compelling experience. But going back to what you said about like how do we bring virtual reality to to everyone? Because not because gaming isn't just going to speak to gaming isn't going to speak to every to everyone like my dad like my dad um, you know how do I get my dad to embrace virtual reality pornography boom bam instant winner like that's that's how that that speaks to him like you know um, and 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 so or my and then my grandma suffers from chronic pain and and boom we can hook her up with some uh, some of your virtual reality software like like. This is uh, this is the verge of something really crazy because now, right now, when in its infancy, we can decide like um, this isn't this isn't just for gamers and, and this is for everyone and you know especially especially being here uh, working amongst like a bunch of uh, startup companies that are doing a lot of apps and stuff. A lot of analysts are saying nowadays like the market is saturated. There's, there's, there's nowhere to go. Like, you know, you try to make an app and you try to survive in the app store, you're competing with hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. But, but, but when I see VR, I'm seeing like, Hey, listen, there's only 350 demos out there and not many games. The door is wide open. Like, like, you know, I go back again to the same thing. Like, how does a developer make money? You know, there's 116 million people with pain. Like what you said, there is, mm -hmm profit potential everywhere and it's all a matter of crossing my fingers that oculus keeps it keep uh pulls it off um i'm hopeful 
but 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 Sony is also noticing this, and Sony is about to get in this thing. And in January, they're announcing their own HMD. Mm-hmm. And then there's this really cool uh, startup in Germany called Durovis, and they're creating this thing where you can use your smartphone as your virtual reality device on the go. Um, mm-hmm. It's crazy, like it, it really is. And so, for you uh, personally, like. Are you hopeful for this time around? Are you? Are you? Are you? I, I noticed there is a bit of skepticism, but like, um, is this is is this it for you, or, or not yet? No, I, I I would say of course, yeah, I'm very hopeful. I think you know, going back to where uh, you were talking about uh, you know this evolution of of game consoles and realism and. Uh, you know, it's interesting to to go back to to Spider World. That the initial that the the virtual environment that Miss Muffet used mm-hmm. was on uh, you know it was on silicon graphics machines. Uh, it was low res. It was the cheesiest looking spider. If you looked at it now, you'd go, "Oh my God, that is it's just it's primitive." Um, but it worked. And I think that that goes to, you know, this notion of, of it's not all about realism. Mm-hmm. It's not all about photographic realism. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I just think about, you know, the cartoons. Look at The Simpsons. It's not photorealistic, but we like it because it's funny, yeah. right? So uh, you look at Angry Birds, a very different model, not photorealistic realistic at all, but, uh, but a big hit. Mm-hmm. So... You know, in in that world, it's about gameplay and and all of that, and a dynamic and kind of getting all the nuances right. But uh, I think that when people, you know, I, I so I I mentioned at the beginning about you know my work in graduate school teaching, doing this application Zengo Sayu to teach Japanese. Um, you know, it was not a literal experience. It was not like, you know. If I said to people, "I'm building a virtual environment to teach Japanese," people would go, "Oh, you're, you know, you're recreating the Tokyo subway, or you're, you're, you know, you're doing some sort of recreation of something real in the real world." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, you can do that, but that's not really that interesting to me because it doesn't really get at what virtual worlds are really about. When we get anchored so much in our real experience we stop thinking about it in a creative way we stop you know we we limit the possibilities and my the zengo sayu was a very sort of uh, it was it was a game about you know playing with building blocks basically and it was a game with two players and and you place objects around in the in the virtual environment and then you talk to each other about trying to get like I do a little formation of my blocks and I try to get you to do exactly the same thing and it's mitigated by virtual you know virtual reality and it's got some intelligence and all of those other things so it's not a literal experience and I think as long as you know that that sort of um, that arms race of getting the most intense, the most realistic, the most, uh, you know, making that explosion look as realistic as possible. That, that's a, that's sort of a no win game to me. I mean, I think it's, we, we become anesthetized (laughs) to that stuff in movies anyway. I mean, look at what happens in a movie. It's just a bigger and a bigger explosion. It doesn't, (laughs) 
it doesn't make for a better movie. Yeah. If it doesn't have a plot and it doesn't engage us, the explosions don't save it. Yeah. So I, I hope that. Um, Are you, you listening, Michael Bay? Well, I, I think you know. I, I think that, that there are people who are into that, yeah. and if they're into it, that's cool. But you know, if you're if you're talking about the direction and the potential of the technology, which is uh, what I think people really, when I tell people about what we do at first hand, mm -hmm. they they really respond because it's it's a new uh, it's a really different new way of thinking about it. I would also say that for for developers who are getting into Oculus and and this is their first experience of VR. There's a lot of really great research out there uh, on human factors and on what causes sim sickness. Uh, if you know, we consult with people who are doing development, uh, you know, to try to uh, bring our understanding of, of uh, stereoscopic displays and their and people's experience with virtual reality. Um, you know, to help developers try to uh, to try to build worlds that are more engaging, more fun, don't make people sick. Uh, you know, there is there's a lot of great research out there, and uh, I don't think we're at the very beginning. I think what this is is the beginning of it's a it's a new wave of sort of commercial potential and and a very low price point, and everybody's going for good enough. What, what's the best thing I can do for, you know, an acceptable price of, of, of a few hundred bucks, of kind of around the price of an Oculus. So it is amazing what, you know, I wouldn't bet on one device over another, but I would say that uh, we're going to see a flood of devices. And the degree to which all of us can be successful at building a really good ecosystem, that's going to really determine how effective the whole VR revolution is in the future. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, the future is, is very exciting. Um, and with that, uh, Howard Rose, I, I don't, I don't know if we can uh, take you, I, I, I don't know if I can take you deeper into the rabbit hole. You, you're, you're such a, you're such a good sport. Uh, thanks so much for being, for coming along on this, on this uh, crazy ride. Like, what's, do you have anything uh, left buzzing in the back of your head that you want to let, uh, let out before before we start closing things off? Yeah, so one other area that we're working on is uh, using VR for chronic pain. And we're working with uh, Dr. Diane Gramala, who is at Simon Fraser up in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and we're working with her on developing applications for uh, building resilience and teaching mindfulness. So you can't distract somebody 24-7. Uh, with VR, but you use VR as a, a medium to try to um, hook people. Uh, you know, we so you use uh, VR with biosensors and try to give people a sense of of what's happening inside their body. We're sort of externalizing the internal state, and so uh, they can see their heart rates. Uh, translated into the sounds and the the fog in the world and things. We're also using um, uh, Diane is is putting people on treadmills and uh, doing walking meditations, and we've got some other applications about uh, you know trying to teach them uh, other forms of mindfulness to get in touch with the pain in their body and to to develop some resilience to it. So uh, chronic pain is a really exciting area for 
um, a lot of future research. Uh, it's a very complicated uh, sort of psychophysical thing, but uh, it's a really great place to start doing work because there's 116 million Americans afflicted with chronic pain. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's that, yeah, that's crazy. I think um, the whole chronic pain is is definitely something that that, that is worth working towards. Should I talk about Attack of the S mutants? Let's get in there. Okay, I'll do it. So we also uh, created a game uh, and a game-based museum exhibit actually called Attack of the S Mutants. This was a project funded by the National Institute of Health and we were looking at how effective games are at changing uh, kids' self-care about their teeth. So can we use a game to get kids to brush their teeth better? And what we found was that uh, you know, by engaging them in uh, in why they brush their teeth. So, Attack of the S Mutants is a it's kind of a multi-level thing. We did it on a big screen, big stereoscopic uh, multiplayer game done in a museum, and uh, it it introduces kids to the whole sort of scientific process of of, of what is happening on their teeth. Their teeth are made of crystals. Uh, that crystal is getting attacked by acid. Where is that acid coming from? It's coming from these biofilm, gross, that are growing on our teeth. And and so as they go through the process of of fighting against these biofilm and trying to uh, go through the levels of, of, of the game, they learn about why it's important to brush their teeth. And we found that that has a, a positive impact on their their feeling of self-efficacy, they feel like they can actually affect their health more, and they also uh, it increases their their brushing time, sort of brushing behavior. So, um, you know, that's one great example of how games and virtual environments can be effective at at changing behavior and hopefully making us healthier. You know, you mentioned earlier that virtual reality will not replace the teacher. Um, but it will definitely enable them to and hand them over tools that all of a sudden will give them, I think, life-changing, life-altering uh, experiences. Like all of a sudden, you know, with virtual reality, a teacher will have the ability to 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 change lives by taking you in a history class and taking you to 15th century Venice. And now, with with your application with it, the S mutants one, attacking the S mutants, you you have. Uh, you're, you won't replace the parent, but you will enable them with a tool to teach their kids and, and yeah, really teach the kids about themselves, their, their, their bodies, and, and science itself, it, mm -hmm. which, is, which is really cool. That's really awesome. Well, the, uh, yeah, I guess what that, the interesting thing about, uh, you know, toothbrushing, what could be more mundane, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it is the one thing that we do every day to take care of our health. And it's also kind of, it's become a flashpoint in a lot of families where the parents try to get the kids to brush their teeth and the kids don't want to do it and they rebel and all of that. It causes tension. Um, and it creates a certain, that tension creates a certain type of dialogue around that activity. The cool thing about Attack of the S Mutants is that uh, we're really interested in changing that dialogue. So it's not about, you know, you, you know, mom wag wagging her finger and going, you got to do this. It's that 
it's getting kids engaged about why they do it, why they need to do it, why if you do it and you do it better, you're going to have a better result. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about education. I think what's, um, what's exciting is to change the dynamic of how education happens from the teacher. You know, a lot of teachers are able to do this uh, naturally, but they're you know, building when when applications, educational applications are designed from the ground up to enable the teacher to take a different role, to not it's not about imparting information so much as creating this experience that the teacher can then step in and provide that extra value. Um, so I think it really begs the question of, you know, what what do we want our schools to be? What do we want? How do we want to educate ourselves and how do we want to, uh, you know, interact with each other? And I think if we can make tools, that's kind of our mission at first hand is to make technology work for people, mm-hmm. you know, instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. We, we build technologies that will create those spaces for better, better learning, better interaction, healthier lives. I wish I I think of, I look back at my childhood and I, and I wish I had something like that because the way I was taught to, to, to brush my teeth every day was was through fear of the dentist. I mm-hmm. had such horrible experiences going to the dentist that mm-hmm. like the thing what you know the thing that my dad used to say like well if you don't brush your teeth I'm just gonna we're just gonna go to the dentist, and you know what they do to you at the dentist. And I'm like, all right, you don't have to. Fear works with some children, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. It worked with me, um, but but definitely uh, Attack of the Ass Mutants is is definitely a more positive uh, alternative. If I ever have children, I will definitely <laughs> put them through instead of uh, the fear. Well, well, where we're going with that is we're really interested in seeing how, so we put it into a dentist waiting office, right? And uh-huh. the kids play it and then they go in and they have, they see the dentist and most, a lot of people are afraid of dentists. It's one of the, one of the most widespread phobias, fears out there. Huh. So, um, and that's actually how we got into, to, uh, this idea of building a game, but that's another story. So, but one of the things that we're interested in is how uh, how that game can change the dynamic, can change the discussion that happens in the dental chair from the dentist going, you know, telling you, 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 you've got to do this. And people, people know, mm-hmm. people know they're supposed to brush their teeth. This is not news to anyone. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, tell me something I don't know, but people just don't do it. And there's a lot of things, you know, like we know we should eat well, but we just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Or we know that we shouldn't smoke, but a lot of people still just don't do it. So there's a whole bunch of behaviors that I think that if we could, if we could change the perception around it and we change the associations and why do it in VR? We believe that you know there's a value in you know transferring that image. So in our Attack of the S mutants, we have these disgusting biofilm, and they're they're pooping out acid onto the teeth. We want kids when they go home and they're in their bathroom brushing their teeth to close their eyes and think about our disgusting biofilm. We yeah. want them to feel that, and not just sort of you know it's not like a picture you saw in a book. It's like ugh. 
Yeah. That's the stuff that I, I, I'm going to get that stuff off of my teeth. That's the motivation. So, you know, virtual reality becomes this, this great uh, way to change it from, from you know, a, a third-person experience to a first-person. I was there. I saw it. And, and ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to – yeah, we're going to have a – we're going to have a generation growing up of kids that are going to have – Perfect pearly teeth. I, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for uh, inviting me, and I really appreciate this opportunity to reach out to uh, to folks out there. I think um, I would invite them to come and check out our website, and uh, if you're interested, to uh, you know use the link to get in touch with me and sign up, you know, for our Twitter feed and and all of that, and please look for a Kickstarter coming in the near future. There you go. Uh, that is firsthand.com. Yes. And the Twitter handle is at? Uh, we're firsthand tech. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, this was Enter VR, and Howard Rose, thank you again. Thank you so much.